This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Do you dream of writing a novel, or do you just like listening to authors talk? I'm Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading, Stories Behind the Story podcast. This new podcast springs from many requests we've had from listeners to do more episodes on how to write. We've produced a six-part series where we discuss the craft of writing with some of Australia's top authors and industry professionals. Welcome to Better Reading on Writing. I start with a place. Yeah. And uh, is it always a place? Yeah, it's all, it's always either a you know a landscape um, or a streetscape or a cityscape, um, but it's a setting. It's a the place um, is what. Where the book begins, and it's it's often a place that I've got to know over time and got interested in, and and places produce their own ecology, their own logic. So the characters and the story come out of the place, um, and what happens in the book is the only it is determined. You know, the place determines what kind of people are there and what their lives are like and what their problems are. Um, so there's an ecological logic um, to to it. Um, so their social problems, their physical um, problems, their spiritual, psychological problems are very much bound up in where they are. And if I was writing about a different kind of place, it would probably be a different sort of a story. So of yeah, I start yeah. I start with the I just build them from the dirt up, you know, and they come up out of the dirt. That was Tim Winton talking to me about how his books start with place. His characters, his novels literally come out of the dirt of where he sets his book. So how important is setting? How does it define the natural, cultural and social aspects of a story? Unlike Tim Winton, many authors set their novels in places and times unfamiliar to them. Where does research come into this? Today, we're talking with best-selling crime author Candace Fox about both setting and research, two different subjects that are often connected, and we'll find out if Candace would be arrested if the police checked her internet search history. Welcome, Candace Fox. Oh, thanks for having me, yes. Yeah, I'm glad you haven't been arrested. <laughs> oh, not yet. Not yet? The day no. is young. <laughs> the day is very young. <laughs> okay, I really love that Tim Winton quote about how his characters come up out of the dirt. Yeah. Um, how important is setting for you? Oh, it's critically important uh, because everyone that you surround the main characters with uh, is going to be from that place and should really, you know, represent that place. Um, when I was coming here to do this podcast, I was thinking about um, when I went to Oberon. I hadn't been to Oberon before and uh, I'd bought my husband some fly fishing lessons there and 
I met this guy while I was there that was just so Oberon, you know. Um, he he had to fix my car because something fell out the bottom of my car and I just pulled into this mechanic and he, um, you know, he was already covered in dirt because when someone would pull in, he would just like drop down under their car, you know, like he almost disappeared. He just went huh, under their car, slid under there to have a look at what was wrong with it. And... Um, you know, he had this big scary dog chained up in the yard and then he was talking to me about the local... Because I said, well, we're staying here. Where should we have dinner? He's like, you got three choices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's like, oh, yeah. the local Chinese restaurant, they're really good. You can get chilli beef or you can get chilli chicken or you can get chilli combination. Like, <laughs> he's just like so much variety. They just had chilli, you know. Um, and it, he just represented the whole area for me. Like it was just so country and so um, sort of authentic. And It makes me think how character then yeah. sets is as much a part of the setting as anything else because yeah. I can hear his voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really thick Aussie accent. Yeah, and it's, you know... It, I think it's critically important if you're going to go to a place and say, you know, I think you should go to a place if you are going to write about it, try to go there. The people that you meet and just going there and being open to have experiences. When you wrote your first book, tell me what, you know, I mean, where did, how did it come about? How did you come to writing mm. and how did you get the skill to write that book? It was actually my fifth written novel I'd, I'd written four before and it shows you the critical nature of um setting because the the four before that were all set in New York which I had never been to in my life um and why and, did you set them in New York oh I just had because I was writing like um supernatural vampire and werewolf things and I just figured that's where they live you know <laughs> like yeah. there are no vampires in Australia you know um which you know it's 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 totally ripe for that to be tapped that as a as a genre Australian vampires but um I'd never been there so I was like looking at google images and I was setting things in Paris and trying to learn French and it just wasn't working because I hadn't been there I hadn't spoken to the people I hadn't like smelled the place you know um and so I wrote Hades and um it sort of started uh because I was um living in Queensland and I didn't have any rubbish collection at this property I was living at sort of because I was a uni student and I was trying to save money so I was living in this shack in the middle of the rainforest and I didn't have any garbage collection and I um I used to have to drive my garbage into the rainforest to this dude who had like a, a kind of a makeshift tip and he would just put all your rubbish in skip bins and you'd give him five bucks. And that dude, I was like, he's so mysterious and so creepy and old and weird and I was like, I'm going to take him, you know, and put and give him his own tip in Sydney. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And do you think the reason it's no coincidence that that book sold because it is you wrote about something you knew? Yeah, I think so. I don't want to say to people that they they have to go and live somewhere for a year. You know what I mean? It's not always possible. It's not always yeah. possible. No, um, but I I think that you just need to go somewhere and just be open to something happening to you there. Like um, my husband and I 
we just spent a year in LA and I said to him, I have goals because I want to write about LA. Um, and I said, I have goals for experiencing LA. I said to him, I want to call 911 and I want to shout out, someone call 911. And I said, I want to get pulled over by like a, a highway cop you know, on the, one of the highways out to like Vegas or something, and I want to say, um, what what seems to be the problem, officer, when he comes <laughs> to the side of the car. And I had all those things done in six months. You so know. you did all those. Things. I did, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> so I, what did you call nine one one for? Oh my god, it's so amazing. This is like such a set, setting setter. Um, I um, so we were driving around LA. I don't know where we we were. It might have been Crenshaw or something, just like some suburb. And this woman comes out into the intersection in front of us and she was obviously very drug affected. There were a lot of homeless camps around. And she, um, she was wielding a hammer in each of her hands, so two hammers, and she was like yelling and wielding them at people who weren't really there. And I said to my husband, oh, my God, I think this is the time I'm going to call 911. And we're both like, you know, it's so exciting. So I called. (laughs) (laughs) We pulled over and I called and I said to the operator, there's this woman and she's, uh, you know, she's, she's going crazy and she's fighting air demons with two hammers. And the woman said, has she actually hurt anyone yet? And I said, no, but I feel as though that's kind of like, imminent it's gonna happen any second now and she goes i'll send a car like (laughs) and i was like whoa that is so such a marker of what this place is like because her whole attitude was like if you think that's the most dangerous thing happening in la right now you're you know obviously not from here you know um so it was just perfect and i think if you just flew into la and just experienced something like that and then flew out again two days later, you would get a sense of, you know. Yeah. Not to say that L.A. is this post-apocalyptic crazy place with people with hammers, but, you know, certain areas you can go into and go, hey, I'm ready I'm ready for something to happen to me, and then it does. Well, I think in terms of crime, maybe because I've read too many crime novels set in L.A., <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it does seem to be the perfect setting for crime, isn't yeah. it? And I'm kind of a laconic, you know, yeah. um, Michael Connolly, isn't yes, it? Yes, That's yeah. all set there. Well, the second incident actually was like a Hollywood Hills... Because my, my husband and I were trying – because Tim is a huge Bosch fan. Right. So he's like, let's go live in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. And I said, yeah, sure, okay. So we rented a house with a balcony and everything just like Bosch. Fantastic. And we're sitting there and there's an explosion and we were like, what? So we rushed out of the house and all the neighbours rushed out and we're there in the leafy, beautiful, you know, incline of the hills and celebrity mansions all around and there was all this smoke pouring out of this little house and um, I didn't have my phone because I just ran right out of the house so I said, someone call 911. Like <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> it's two out of Dick. three. Yeah. yeah. And um, the fire brigade came rushing up the hill and the you know the chief comes out and he's got the handlebar mustache and he's stocky and all that kind of stuff and there's this red-haired fire lady with an axe and all this it was just like a tv scene and they all rush into the house and I hung around, you know, to see what had happened because I just have no discretion at all as a person. Mm. And you're a storyteller. Yeah, and I was yeah. like I need to know. I need to know what happened here. And uh, the guy comes out and he goes, "Ah, oh, 
I said, what happened? What happened? He goes, oh, it's a hoarder house in there. I said, this is an expensive place for a hoarder house. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, um, they they hoarded all these spray paint cans and, and it got too hot and one of them exploded and then they all exploded and that's not smoke coming out of the house. It's paint. It's paint vapour. I said, oh, yeah, great. And he goes, um, I don't want to start any rumours around this neighbourhood, but that man's got a lot of dolls in there and they're all naked. <laughs> Oh, that is just a plot right there. I know. I was like, oh, who can I tell? <laughs> you know, it's so great. Um, so, yeah. Are we going to see that in the next book? Oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I'll find a spot for it. Yeah. I just take these things and I hold them like in a little basket in my mind. And every now and then if I've got, I've got to have like a strange incident or something happen in the novel, I've always got all this weird stuff you know, and you wouldn't be you, – you, you would be surprised how, how often I pull stuff out of that basket just to amuse people, you know. Mm. Like it's good to have a head full of stories even if you don't use them all. Yeah. I personally had to do a great deal more research because my knowledge of that period wasn't huge at all. My, I'm very lucky in that my husband is an historian – and so I was constantly asking him questions. Was he your researcher? Well, no, he wasn't. No, no, he works very hard himself, never has time for that kind of thing. <laughs> no. But what he was, he's very willing to answer questions. So, Which is good. Yeah, so I was sort of, but the trouble is I was asking him questions he couldn't answer, such as, well, so what would the landscape have looked like in 1348? And he'd ponder a bit and then say, I honestly don't know. He said there would have been cleared land around each of the settlements. But he said, what it looked like outside the cleared land, I don't know. So then I had to start doing all that research myself. Okay, so that was the author, the English author, Manette Walters, talking about research. I'd first like to talk about how you research, where you set your books, but then more generally, obviously a lot of research must go into your novels. So tell me, how do you start the research? Um, with a novel, when I start a crime novel, I think to myself, um, you know, what would it be like to be the central person, you know? Um, so uh, my last novel, Gone by Midnight, I was trying to find a crime for it and I thought it has to be something that, that really gets people upset, you know, and um, so I was just walking. Well, you know, you got to be passionate about yes. it. Yeah. So I was in my local IGA and um, I split away from my husband. I was in the fruit and veggie section and um, there was this woman at the counters. I could see she just burst into tears and I was like, oh, what's going on over there? Everyone stopped, everyone's staring. And she, I couldn't hear what she was saying, but she was making a low down gesture, like sort of saying, oh, this high, like in around here. Oh, she's lost her child. Yeah. And I looked down next to me and there's this two-year-old boy looking up at me like, hi, you know, like, you're not my mum. And I was like, oh, man. Um, and so I picked him up and I said, this boy over here, you know, I held him <laughs> up in the air. And everyone was like, hooray, and the mum comes over and she's like, hooray, you know. I was like, well, I'm the hero of the day, you know, because <laughs> I'm not very subtle when I get to be like a hero. Um, and then I thought, hey, you know, that every uh, everyone who was there at the counters was immediately like locked in, like this woman's lost her kid 
we must all stop what we're doing, you know, because they could all feel it. And I thought, hey, missing kid, that, that'll that be the crime because it's, you know. But I just felt it. Yeah. <laughs> I just felt it right good. there. I've got goosebumps actually just oh, good, from you yeah. read, telling that. I want to – so there are a lot of people in that supermarket who yeah. felt it, right? Yeah. Do you tend to see and find stories more than most people? Because this is just your everyday life where yeah. you're picking up. We all go shopping. We all do this. But yeah. do all of us see as many stories as you do? Oh, you know, I'm incredibly nosy mm. and I'm always watching what other people are doing and mm. eavesdropping and it's 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 inappropriate at times. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah, because, you know, I'm sitting Have you ever been told off? No, no, no. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I, I, I'm... I'm 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 kind of discreet with it. Like if if someone if there's a uh, a couple and they're having a breakup at the next table at the restaurant, I am fifty percent tuned in to that and fifty percent tuned into whoever it is I'm having dinner with. You know what I mean? Um, but I've just always got my radar out for curious things. And yeah, I can think of a really inappropriate time actually. Um, I was just having an ultrasound for my baby. Uh, at 12 weeks and it was the first ultrasound where it actually looks like a baby, like instead of a smudge. So my husband and I are there and we're both crying like, oh, my God, it's a baby. And, uh, and well, so that's I, a moment. Well, I, I leaned over to the woman who's doing the ultrasound and I said to her, do you just ultrasound um, babies or what? And she said, uh, oh, no, I ultrasound anything that comes in here that needs ultrasounding. I said, what's the strangest thing you've ever ultrasounded? Because that's – I find when you say to someone, what's the strangest thing, you know, you get a really good answer. Like if you're talking to the police and you say to them, what's the worst thing that's happened to you this week, you might get really – like a really horrible answer that you weren't really ready for or – you know, what's the best thing that's happened to you this week? They're going to say, oh, we all got our pay on time or something. You know what I mean? Mm. So I said to her, what's the strangest thing you've ever ultrasounded? And she said, a guy came in here from the prison and he wanted a day off prison 
And so he ripped up a piece of lino from the floor and he stuck it down his penis. Oh. (laughs) And she was like, I'd have to ultrasound it to see like how big it is and how can we get it out and what's the best way and all this. And I was like, okay, I have so many questions for you about that. And I don't know if I'm ever going to use that as a thing. But it's like I said to her, when you ultrasound a penis, who holds the penis? Like, does he hold it or do you hold it? Like, or is this some kind of special rack mm. or something? Like, mm. and, and how is your husband dealing with that? <laughs> well, <laughs> See, this is the inappropriate part because before I could even get my answer, he leans over and he's like, can I just interrupt this because I'm trying to see my unborn child. Like, and she was laughing at my questions and the ultrasound wand was like coming off my belly and he couldn't see the baby. And, you know, so sometimes my curiosity will just take over and I'm like, I need to know everything there is to know about this thing, even if I never use it, mm. you know. And so in a sense, to be a writer, there that, that curiosity has to be there, doesn't it? Yeah, all because the time. Because you've got to write... Because I think when we're talking about setting and research, it's the nuance of that person. Yeah. It's all those little things, don't they? The the description of those things that add up to mood, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? It's also getting over the shame of being uh, curious and nosy and like and asking questions, you know, and I have the legitimate thing of being able to say, oh, I'm a published author and I'm interested in that. But Mm. if you're not, you just have to accept the fact that you're going to be that person Mm. watching at the crime scene tape or asking the questions or whatever it is. So do you, you know, so when we're talking about researching a book and doing formal research, you just draw on experience or do you go looking for things? Is there some things you need to find out? There's a lot of legal stuff that I have to uh, find out, you know, I have to speak to lawyers or I have to speak to cops. Um, And and how how do you go about that? Oh, usually I'll just say, you know, can can I, if it's a lawyer, I say, can I hire you to answer these two or three questions? And usually they'll just answer them for me because, Mm. I mean, to them it's like a hundred bucks or something. They don't really care. Um, So recently I was trying to speak to a a Californian lawyer about, you know, the legality of um, accepting gifts if you're a police officer. And so I just Googled a lawyer and I'm like, hey, can we talk? You know, and usually people will. Because you, so what, you just phoned him or emailed him. And I said, just emailed him. Yeah. yeah, and then I had to speak to a botanist because I wanted to know about um, vines that grow really fast in winter. Uh, yeah. You know, and then like sometimes you'll find someone who really loves talking about themselves. Like um, I, when I was in <laughs> LA, I spoke to, I wrote to a serial killer in San Quentin, and I said hey, um, like not in these words, but I was like, hey, you're like the worst serial killer I've ever heard of in my entire life. I just watched a documentary on you and I'm absolutely horrified. Can I come to San Quentin and see Death Row and chat to you and do all that stuff? And he's like, yeah, great. Like, you know, on his part, he's like, I'm a a psychopath. I love talking about myself. I'm going to get this 32-year-old writer to come and talk to me in San Quentin and it's, you know, it'll be a fantastic day for me and yeah. it seemed to be. <laughs> and so you did do that? Yeah, I did do that. So how do you get permission to do that? You need permission from him or permission from the prison? Oh, no, uh, permission from him 
Yeah. yeah, but anyone can write to a serial killer in the US and say, hey, can I come visit you? You just look up their CDCR number, their corrections number yeah. online and you find them and so you've got their address and you write and you say, hey. Mm. And how does that look? Um, because one, I would never do it. I'd be so frightened. <laughs> yeah. But you walk in, I mean, are they handcuffed? I mean, tell me how that looks. Oh, my God, this is a terrible story because I thought – that it was going to be like you see on TV with like a glass window yeah. and a handset and yeah. all that. Because this guy was really, really awfully violent and he killed all these young ladies and I'm like, I'm kind of a young lady, mm. you know. Um, so I imagined it would be that. But no, when I got there, I got through all the stuff that you have to get, like the barking dogs and the angry guards and the fences and all that kind of stuff. I get in there. And I say to the guard, hey, nobody's told me what to do. I don't know where to go. Which window is mine? I'm seeing this inmate. And he said, oh, actually, that inmate will be in that cage over there. Um, And it's this floor-to-ceiling cage. It's like two metres by two metres, really small. And it, um, you know, steel mesh and bulletproof glass cage. And I said, oh, okay, he's going to be in there. Yeah, right, makes sense. Uh, I said, where am I going to be? And the guard goes, in there. In the cage with him. In, in there with him. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, like this is where I die, clearly, because mm. <laughs> I'm going to get in there with him, mm. you know, and he's going to be uncuffed. And when we're sitting in, in there, like knee to knee on two plastic chairs, and when they put us in there exactly like that, the guards padlocked the door mm. and walked away. They actually walked away. And I was like, well... My death, my violent death in this cage is going to be so great for book sales, but I'm not going to be around to enjoy them. To read the benefits. Yeah. No. <laughs> Do you know, just in you telling me that story, so you pass the parking dogs, you pass the grumpy, you know, guards. I mean, there is the description and the setting right there, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I've you, already got the scene. Yeah. You. The thing I find when I read the, the work of aspiring authors is you can sometimes be a little bit patronising to the reader when you over-describe. Like mm. I, sent, I sent a manuscript in once and the editors, um, before I was an author, a published author, and the, the, the editor said, you describe a storm in this book for four pages. Mm. And I was like, yeah, it's a pretty epic storm. And she's like, I know what a storm looks like, you know. And so if I say to you, you know, prison, really big prison, barking dogs, angry guards, big fences. Like you've got it. That you, mm. In those three things, you've got it. I know what a prison mm. looks like. I don't need you to tell me for a mm. whole page. Mm. Um, so you just need to pick, pick like the key things. Mm. Like if you're describing like a hipster cafe, you'll have like, you know, um, um, polished concrete and exposed piping and really expensive coffee machine and everyone in there is wearing a man bun. You got it. That's it. it. Yep. That's all you need. Yep. Hey, tell me what book number are you up to? I'm working on my 13th book. Wow. And so you've partnered, you've co-written with James Patterson. Yes. And Bill Clinton. Well, no, he, Bill Clinton um, co-wrote with Jim. Uh, So that, yeah, you're thinking of when Bill Clinton and I had dinner together. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. I saw that on your Instagram page. Oh, yeah, Yeah. cool. Yeah, they had collaborated. And, and so you just happened to have dinner with Belle? Well, no. Um, Jim said, hey, come and have, have dinner with the two of us because we'll be in San Jose. That's not far away from you. 
But I was like, sure, I'll have dinner with an ex-president. Like, why yeah. not? You why know, not? Yeah. because somebody said to me, oh, even if they're an ex-president, you still get to call them Mr. President. And I was like, oh, my God, i got to do that. I, that mm. is like a life goal. Mm. And uh, and so Jim said, yeah, come and have dinner with us. So I said, cool. And so I wrote to the serial killer and I said, hey, you're in San Quentin. That's only an hour and a half north. I'll have breakfast with you and then I'll have dinner with the president. Mm. And, uh, and That's so not a lot to do in the one day. Is it? it was pretty wild. It was a pretty wild day. But Bill was lovely. But, um, as lovely as the serial killer? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Well, yeah, the serial Bill. killer was extra lovely because he's a psychopath. But um, I didn't realise when I went to have dinner with him that ex-presidents still get all the secret service. Mm. So we had all these secret service agents just like hanging around us, staring at us. And we went to dinner and they shut down this restaurant, especially for us. And there were six secret service agents just sitting there like in a booth, you know, maybe 10 metres away, just staring at us while we're eating dinner. And I said to Bill, isn't that like, doesn't that get weird? And he's like, no, you get you get used to it super early. Then he was he started hassling me about this book. He goes, um, when's Liar Liar coming out in the US? And I said, oh, it's going to be a while. It's only just come out in Australia. And he said, well, I want to know, you know, what happens? Do they sort out the thing with the brother? And I'm like, well, Mr. President, <laughs> I, can't, I can't ruin this book for you because if I tell you anything about it, it's going to ruin it. You know, it's a really, it's a really tight plot. And he's like, oh, well, you know, you could just tell me. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. And I look over and the Secret Service are just like staring daggers at me. They're like, tell him what he wants to know kind of thing, <laughs> you know. Um, and I said, just give me your address and I'll, I'll send you a, a copy. copy of the book. Yeah. yeah. And he did. And I did. And he sent, because I just sent him a letter printed on a piece of paper from like, you know, like office works or whatever. And he sends me back this piece of paper, um, like in this special envelope with all this gold embossing and, you know, the person at the post office handed it to me like, oh, you know, because <laughs> she's obviously, because she was used to handing me things that say San Quentin prison or whatever. And now she's really curious about who the hell I am. And the, yeah, just the letter made me feel so terrible about my stationary choices because it was like if you got a letter from God or something, yeah. that's what it would look like. So are we going to see Mr. President in an upcoming book? Possibly. Possibly. I'm ready. I'm like, you know, I have the experience now. You do. So. So tell me, what are your three uh, writer's habits? What are your three tips for writers? Um, so the first one is just a simple writing tip. Um, a lot of writers talk about like a minimum word count per day. I think Stephen King in On Writing says um, you should aim for 2,000 words a day, which is utterly ridiculous because I don't even get 2,000 words a day. Um, you know, and I, I sort of aim for 700, but um, I have this strategy of like luring myself into the writing if I really don't feel like it and that's just to set a timer for 15 minutes and I just say I'm just going to write for 15 minutes and if I do nothing else all day long, that's fine, you know. And that that's just like getting the whiff of something, you know, that smells really good to eat and you're like, oh, I'll just smell it and then by the end of the day you've eaten the whole bag of chips or the pizza or whatever it is, you know what I mean? I like it, that. Yeah, timer. it lures yeah. you in to the mm. writing, yeah. Um, Two? So my second one, 
I think it's just a general practice sort of thing. I think it's really important. Everyone that you meet in the book industry, um, whether it's a bookseller at a library or a librarian or a publicist or, you know, the head of the company, you should just be enthusiastic and grateful towards that person, no matter what you're feeling or anything. I think it's important because you can very quickly get a reputation when you rub someone the wrong way and everyone knows each other. And it might be a bit of a controversial tip that you should just be nice to everyone all the time. But I think... It's a life tip. It's just a... Yeah, it's just a bit of a life tip and and also people aren't going to give you opportunities if they think that you are not going to go for it, you know, and you just need to be... Like as a writer, just up for anything, just willing for things to happen to you, you know, and to hear all the people around you who are speaking to you. Um, yes, I think that's just okay. An Number three. Thing. Number three. Um, oh, just a just a another general writing tip, I suppose. People talk to me, what should you do about like writer's block? And I, I have a bit of a drastic measure that I take when I get writer's block. Um, I just delete like the last couple of chapters or whatever it is. The path that I'm going down is obviously obviously has a dead end. So you should stop going down that path altogether. Don't like force yourself through it um, because that plot point or whatever it is just doesn't work. It's not exciting to you obviously because you're not like aching to write it. So just get rid of it, delete it. Um, and And going and deleting, you know, 5,000 words or recently I deleted 30,000 words of a manuscript just because it wasn't just wasn't working in and you'll say oh I just wasted 30,000 words but like it's not wasted you just had to find out the hard way that that's not an option for you they're great tips oh thanks Candace Fox always a pleasure thanks so much yeah same here If you enjoyed this episode of Better Reading on Writing, please leave an iTunes review. Also, visit our site, betterreading.com, for podcast notes and join the Better Reading community on Facebook for more books, author chats and great community discussions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.